So we come to the end of our series. This is the last week of Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, and I looked back, actually, to how we started it and, and what the whole uh, idea, I suppose, behind it was. Because um, after nine weeks, I was beginning to forget what have we done and what have we not done. And why did we even start this to some degree? So I picked up what I had wrote for, for that first week. And I, and I want to read some of it. Um, and this is what I said that very first week. Is, so what I believe we're supposed to look at over the next while is a section of the Gospel of Matthew from chapter 5 to 7, commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to take nine weeks to go through this. And I want to encourage you to read it at home. To read books on it. To read articles on it. To Google it. There's loads of good Christian resources out there that have stuff around the Sermon on the Mount. There's also loads of mad stuff out there too. So, but. And here was the dream. That the week after we finish this series is Easter week, which is next week. And I believe if we really not just get into this teaching from Jesus, but if we would let the teaching from Jesus get into us, that we would be a different church than we were nine weeks ago. That we'd be a different fellowship than we were nine weeks ago that we'll be a different people to who we were then. And I went on to say that since Christmas, God had spoken to us through the forward teaching, through his amazing love on the forward Saturday, through his call to us that 2019 was to be a year of challenge. Little did we know in January what kind of challenge it was bringing. A challenge for us all to be who we were created to be, to live our lives on purpose, to make a difference in our world in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus wherever we go, to know that we're here on purpose and we're here for purpose and with purpose and to know that he is with us in every moment of it all, that he's empowering us and directing us and encouraging us and he is strengthening us and that he's with us and always will be with us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to leave us swinging and hanging. And we started the journey in Matthew 5, 1. And the first verse in Matthew 5, 1 says this, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, and I started right there, that he is teaching his disciples, his followers, the people who were following him. They weren't strangers. They weren't unbelievers. They weren't atheists, agnostics. He was teaching people who believed in God because the Jewish nation as a nation believed in God. And he was also teaching people that God believed in. And as many of us have been in places in life where we didn't believe in God, but you know what? He always believed in us. Always. And as we journey through the sermon on Jesus, this teaching that was going to touch so many parts of our lives. Some of them parts were easy and some of them were not so easy. Some of them were nice and some of them weren't. But I wanted us to remember one truth, and I hope you have, that God loves you. That God believes in you and God wants the best for you. So as we journey through the different weeks over the last eight weeks, this being week nine, we looked at the Beatitudes, how blessed we are, and how blessed we will be if we live the way Jesus told us to live. To be merciful, to be a, me a peacemaker, to mourn in hope. While we mourn, we mourn with hope, not like people who don't have hope. To be humble, 
to be pure in thought and deed. To live for the joy that's set before us, not just for the now and not just for the comfort of this life, but to live for the joy that is set before us in Jesus. We looked one week at being salt and light in our world. What does that even look like? How useful is salt? We take it for granted now, but we looked at how precious it was in those days. And how we are precious. How we can bring light into dark places. Into people's lives who have no hope, who have no light. We get the privilege of being able to introduce Jesus into that space. Whether then people take it or they walk away from it, that's their choice. But we get to be the people who can carry a candle into a very dark place. We looked one week at sin, sexual sin, divorce, making stupid promises and foolish promises, about being angry, about loving people. All of these are in the podcast over the last number of weeks. If you missed any of them, you can go back and listen. We looked one week at giving. Many of you talk about money, but I always get a real popular topic. We looked at the Lord's Prayer. What are we worshipping in life? We looked at how we can store up treasure in heaven rather than storing up treasure on earth where it can be rot away and it can be stolen on us. We looked at how it was such a waste of our lives to spend time worrying. How scripture tells us not to be anxious. Anxiety is going to come knocking, but we don't necessarily have to let it in. We looked at judging other people. And also asking God for what we need. And then James came a couple of weeks ago and he had us stepping over a lion. Or jumping over a lion to call a lion in the sand and go this far and no further. And we're going to move into a new place with God. And Kevin last week, talking about the narrow way and the wide way and about life in abundance upon abundance upon abundance upon abundance. And this week we close with this amazing picture of a house being built by two different kinds of people. There's wise people and foolish people. I do, um, and I know most of you know this, I do workshops for, around mental health and all that kind of stuff. And over and over and over again, I hear people quoting this line. And I think, what a lie. They say, we get born with no instruction manual. It's like we're supposed to find our way through this life with no instruction manual. It's like someone gives you a new TV and says, there you go, but there's no little book telling you how to turn it on. Or your new washing machine with no little book telling you which button to press and all the rest of it. Now, most of us, when we get the book, we don't bother reading it anyway, do we? In all fairness, if you have a child in the house, you give them the remote control and say, figure it out to tell you for me, and then teach me. But if we have other machines we tend to, to maybe only look at the book when we have a problem. Oh, it's not working. I'll go find out what the book says. But I want to tell you something. Life comes with an instruction manual. It's called the Bible. God gave us instructions on how to live. The teachings of the Sermon on the Mount are instructions about how to live. How to live life. And we can go on living life the way that we do with the instruction man enough to tell you and only look at it when something's broke. Or we can read the manual and find out how to turn it on and off right. And we can read the manual and find out how we avoid problems rather than how we fix problems. How we can live a life that is not full of pain and misery 
that we have created ourselves. There will still be pain. I'm not trying to say if you read the Bible and you do what it says that you're not going to have suffering, that you're not going to have pain. The scripture says in this life you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus says. So in the midst of our trouble, we can overcome it. We can have a peace. We can have a joy. But that comes from being rooted in God and being rooted in what he tells us and realizing there is an instruction manual. And if we live by it, we can live a better life than what we're living without it. Let me read um, the last bit of this that I want to read. It's from Matthew 7, and it'll be up on the screen. Matthew 7, 24, 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Just go back for a sec. Sorry, Tony. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice You can hear this stuff. We've talked about this stuff for nine weeks. I can promise you there are people in the room who've heard most of it and gone home and it hasn't changed anything because you haven't put it into practice. And then there's other people who have put it into practice and it's turned their life upside down. Everything we ever hear, we have the, the choice of whether we put it into practice or we don't. And then we get to live with the consequences of those choices. What I want to encourage you is, if you haven't tried it, try it. What have you got to lose? I was with a, um, I was at a meeting the other morning, and there was a man there who has, he has amazing courage when it comes to talking about with a, two other people about Jesus and about faith and about healing and all kinds of stuff. And he talked about how he was on a train one day, and he was sitting next to a person, and they were rubbing their head, and he said to this person, have you got a headache? Are you okay? And your man said, sorry, he said to your man, are you okay? And he said, yeah, no, I've got a headache. Blah, 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 blah. And he said, would you like me to pray for that? I know Jesus and he heals headaches. And he said, your man was like, don't be so stupid, will you? It's a headache. You know what I mean? You're going to pray for me. And he went, what have you got to lose except a headache? And he said, your man stopped and went, well, I suppose that's true. And he said, I prayed for him and he was healed and the headache went. But sometimes when it comes to God saying something to you, you're going, oh, I don't know if I want to try that. But I want to ask you, what have you got to lose? Except potentially the pain and the misery and the frustration or whatever else it is that you're living in. When God asks us to step out of our comfort zone and do something new, it's scary, it's different, it's, sometimes it sounds awful, but actually when you step into it, it's usually a heck of a lot better than you thought it was going to be. I'll give you a physical example of that. It was yesterday when we went into St. Mary's. I was expecting it to be a lot worse than it was. I really was. I thought it was going to be like bare stone walls inside. I'd been in the building six years ago. I couldn't remember what it was like. I thought it was going to be bare stone walls inside, absolutely freezing, damp, miserable, um, rats and mice and cobwebs and spiders and all kinds of things. And there was none of it. It actually felt much warmer than when we came into this building four years ago. Actually, it felt much warmer than sometimes I come in here on a Sunday morning. Um, And there's no windows even in it. I was pleasantly surprised when I stepped into it. Even though it wasn't perfect, how much better it was than I had expected. And sometimes I think God says to us, look, why don't you try this? Why don't you do that? 
try it this way, Brian. And I'm like, oh, I think that'll be worse, God. I think that'll be worse. I think I'll just stay where I am. I'm safer here. And God's going, ah, no, no, go on, try it. Do you know what, Brian? There's abundance over there. But you have to go, in to go through a bit of a mud to get there. And I go, I'm okay, I'll settle for lack here. Because this is what I'm used to. God says if you will put them into practice, you'll be like a person who built a house on a rock. Alex is a builder. Ask him later on the difference between building a house on rock and building a house on sand. It makes a huge difference to what happens. Not when you're just looking at the house, but when the storm comes. And the storm will come because the house represents our life. And in life, we're going to have storms whether we like it or not. They're going to come knocking. You're not going to go looking for them, but they're going to come looking for you. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew against and beat against our house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came, the streams rose and the winds blew. And they beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The rock foundation is Jesus and his instructions. The sand foundation is the world system that we live in and its instructions. And that will tell you that you should be selfish that you should be out to get all you can, that you should climb to the top of the ladder and more than likely step on everybody along the way. And that once you have this, or you have this, or you have this, whatever that may be, whether it's the money or the house or the car or the, or the whatever, then you'll be happy. And the trouble is, when we don't have it, we think we will be happy when we get it. But when you get it, most people I know are still not happy. Most people I know, unless they get God somewhere in the mix, still have an emptiness inside them. And it doesn't matter how high up the totem pole they seem to get. They win the lotto, so they can buy all the houses and cars and islands and everything else they want. And they still don't have any peace. They become a famous singer, sports writer, sporting person or whatever. And they'll still, if you read their biographies, they still say, there was something missing. Or there is something missing. Madonna is probably one of the most phenomenal entertainers the world's ever seen in the last 50 years. But she is driven by a sense of identity loss. That unless she is performing and unless she is achieving, that as a human being, she doesn't feel like she fits. There's something wrong in her life. Unless she is like making something happen. She can't just sit and be at peace. Now, that's great because she, she performed lots of stuff. But you'd think at the level that she got to that she'd have been able to sit back on her laurels for a little while and enjoy it. But in her biography and her life story, she will say, I never got to sit back and enjoy it. Because there was something missing. And, and the reality of it is, there are people who clean toilets for a living, who have more peace and more happiness in their life because they've got God in their life and they've got a relationship with Jesus than people who are sitting in mansions with millions. 
Do you ever think, once I get the new telly, I'll be happy? I'll be grand. Once I get the new telly, I want one of them 60-inch plasmas with the smart ones that's only like that width, has Netflix and everything on it. And I'll be grand once I get that. But then you get it, and two weeks later, you're thinking, I think I need a sound bar to go underneath it. Then I'll be happy. And then you get the sound bar, and then it's like, mm, we need to paint the walls now, because they don't really go with the television. Because there's a, there's a want in us, isn't there? There's a something in us that's always seemed to want something else. I get the new car. Oh, I should have got the other one. Or I wish I'd have got this. Or I wish I had the money just to get the next model up. There's always that, like, a little bit more, and I'll be happy. But the, re- the result is that even when you get it, you still don't end up happy. You still end up a couple of weeks later thinking, the novelty of that has wore off, and now I'm still looking for something else to be happy about. Whereas God's promise is, and Jesus' promise is, if you live this way, then you will have that, what you're looking for. You'll fill that hole that you're looking for to try and fill with the telly or the drink or the drugs or the sex or the, or the, or the, the materialism or the job or the success or the friendships or whatever. Like, I mean, in all honesty, friendships are great. But many of them friendships are really there when the chips are down. Family, and much of it is really there when the chips are down. God's the only one who will never leave you or forsake you. No matter where you are, no matter what's happening, he will always be there. But the foundation that the world wants us to live in and the structure of the system of the world that we're living in will tell you once you have success, once you have this image, I mean, Jeannie Mac, look at social media. Once you look like this, you'll be okay and you'll be happy and everyone will accept you. Like there's more pictures of people trying to look like somebody else on Facebook than half, it's either that or that dinner that seems to be up all the time. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I had a steak tonight, I had chicken, I had vegetarian, I had this, I had that. I never had vegetarian, can I just say that was not me? Um, but like, but it's like, if, if I can show everybody that I had this for me dinner, then I'd be happy somehow or other. And if everyone likes it. There's that thing in us that wants all of that acceptance, all of that, whatever it is. But the only place I've ever really found any, seen anybody find it, including me, was in a relationship with Jesus. That's what brought them to that place where they were able to go, I don't really care what people think about where I look like or what my dinner is like. I have people in my life who love me and God loves me, which is even more important. And getting to that place. But that foundation is with Jesus. And then I just want to finish with, the, with this, with the authority of Jesus. In Matthew 28, it says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. They were amazed because Jesus spoke with one as one who had authority. And he spoke as one who had authority because he had authority. You can have that authority when you speak to other people. It doesn't mean that you can boss them around. It doesn't mean that you can come across as the the Lord of the manor. But what it does mean is that you can have a quiet confidence in whatever you talk about that God is in it with you. And you will speak as one with authority. You will speak as one who has a relationship with God and you will be different to the brainy people who can quote stuff. You'll be different to the know-it-alls 
who can tell them everything about all the trivia and whatever else is out there. You'd be different to the person who knows everything about Brexit and all the politics that's going on because you'd be someone who's walking in a relationship with Jesus and you will speak with a different voice and it will be a voice of authority. And you'll be talking about how to live life because you'll be living life that way. Does that make sense? And we all have that opportunity. And Jesus gave it to us. And the best bit, he's with us always. And he told us to go and tell people. Today is Palm Sunday. Traditionally, we would be preaching on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. I sent out a little message this morning to some people about the donkey. About two people being sent to get the donkey. Okay? The most important job they had that day was to get a donkey. And they may have thought, sure anyone can get a donkey. But they were given the job to get the donkey. And then they got the donkey, Jesus got on it, and he rode into Jerusalem on it. That was the most important job they could do that day. If God asks you to do something that may be like going to get a donkey, don't think it's beneath you. Don't think you're like anyone can do that. If God asks you to do it, then do it because you just don't know what Jesus will do with it. They didn't know that when they got that donkey and Jesus rode in, that was going to be recorded in Scripture and spoke about for the next 2,000 years as some, one of the most important aspects of the beginning of the Holy Week. That he was going to bring prophecies to pass by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. We have that chance to step into history just like them guys had. We have that chance. We have that chance to step into history in everything that we do this week. In the people that maybe God might put someone in your mind who you might get to say, hey, will I say a prayer for that for you? Will I tell you, can I tell you about this? Can I tell you what Jesus did for me? Can I invite you to a service? Wherever. Can I get your shopping for you? It may not seem like any religious kind of thing at all, but you might get an opportunity to be written into the history of that person's life by doing something with them or for them. Today is the start of the greatest and the worst week in the history of mankind. It's the week that we nailed the Son of God to a cross. I think it's one of the darkest moments in human history. That we took the Son of the Creator, we took the Creator and nailed him to a cross as a human race. And he went willingly. And he took all the shame and he took all the guilt and he took everything. Everything that would ever happen that had already happened. And he took it to the cross and he paid a price so that you and me could be free. And then the world sat for 72 hours or whatever it was until Resurrection Sunday. And the tomb was empty. And Jesus rose again. And Good Friday bought us, the blood that was spilled on the cross bought us freedom And Resurrection Sunday gave us the hope. The hope that this is not the end. That lady who who, who passed away in Viola's family, that we will get to meet her. Someday Viola is going to introduce me to her in heaven. And God, Brian, this is the answer we were praying about that day. Someday we're going to get to stand in heaven and see people come through the gate and they're going to go, thank you for telling me about Jesus. Because that's how I'm here. 
Someday we get to do that. Someday you're going to get to thank whoever it was that told you about Jesus. Don't wait till heaven. If somebody brought you, say thanks now. If God's changed your life, tell them already. And then remind them when we get to heaven. I want to pray that this week, as we enter into the Holy Week and as we finish this sermon and we finish this series on about this whole nine weeks, and if you have missed any, please go back and listen to the podcast. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Spend the rest of this year reading it. I promise you, every time you read it, you'll get something new over it. It'll affect you in some different way. God will speak to you. And if you haven't been doing it for the last nine weeks, you don't get the gold star for not doing your homework. But you can catch up. There's no final exams. We'll get the most out of it. But as we go into this week, I want to invite you to enter into the Easter story. Grab a hold of it. It's in all the Gospels. Just grab a hold of it somewhere and start reading what happened from, from Palm Sunday on. And enter into the story this week. Enter into the greatest story ever told. Enter into the journey where Jesus came to the culmination of his mission on earth, which was the redemption of the human race that we are part of. And let's get together next Sunday and have a party and celebrate what God has done for us. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to to read your word, to share your word, to look at your word, to be part of your church, to be part of your family. I pray, God, that you will bless every person in this room with a sense of your presence. That's not just for while they're here, but that goes with them when they live. I pray, God, that you would take whatever intricacies are going on in their life. If life is unraveling in certain places, if stuff is going wrong, Lord, I pray that you would help them and weave it back together with them. I pray you would encourage, strengthen, bless, and pour out your love into each and every person. Not only in this room, but whoever they know and they love and they care about. I ask you, God, to put someone in all of our hearts that maybe next week we could invite to come and be introduced to you, to come to a party, to come to one of the greatest celebrations that we should ever have on this planet when we celebrate the day that you rose from the dead and you declared freedom in our lives and you declared hope into our lives and you gave us a future. So Lord, I pray your blessing over your people. I pray that you would make your face shine on them. I pray that you would grant them peace and I pray that the fellowship of your Holy Spirit would be with them every single day this week. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.